In the descriptions of Jesus' arrival in our world as a baby, a name was used that described the event, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And even as we wonder at this monumental event, there were several reasons for this outside of the primary one. Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich shows us the reasons that the world had God with us. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, God with us from Matthew chapter one. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house with you guys this morning as we gather around his word and see what he has to say to us. And as I said, we are in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. We'll be reading verses 18 through 23. 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with, a ch with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take, thee unto, take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Let us pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come before your throne once again this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name. We know the weather is unpleasant, but Lord, we always are joyful whenever we can come together regardless of what's going on outside. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to lift your name and praise and worship to celebrate this time of the year, the true meaning of Christmas. And Lord, we thank you for the ability to listen to your word, the ability to hear your word proclaimed. And as we do so, we ask that you help us, our hearts to be prepared, our hearts and minds to be open to all the truths that you want us to take from these, these words today. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here and present the message, but I just ask that you take away anything that could interfere with the presentation, Lord. Just take away the distraction, the uh, pride, selfishness, whatever it might be. Just take it all away that I might be filled with your spirit and I might say only that which you have laid upon my heart. And Lord, as a church, help us to strive to move forward, to continue to be about your business, about your will, that we might always be following the path that you've laid out for us. And let us always be looking outward to those that are in need, whether those needs are spiritual or physical. And Lord, as individuals, let us always be cognizant of the need to, to share your gospel with all those that we come in contact with. Lord, uh, we know this world is dark and they need the light of your gospel to see the truth. And Lord, forgive us of the sins that we've committed and the times that we have chosen our own path. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, December 17, 1924, there was an accident where a U.S. sub was accidentally rammed and sank by a U.S. destroyer off the coast of Massachusetts. Now, while most of the crew, unfortunately, did not survive the initial accident, six crew members were trapped in the sub uh, in an air pocket deep below the water. And there was a frantic effort made to 
try to rescue these individuals before it was too late, before their oxygen ran out. And they had sent a diver down to survey the situation, kind of determine what their options are, and he heard a faint tapping on the hull of the ship, or hull of the sub. And the diver heard from inside the sub tapping in Morse code, and as it spelled out, is there any hope? Now, as it turned out, unfortunately, because they were not equipped to deal with that circumstance, um, the time ran out for those individuals. So unless they could reach those before the oxygen ran out, they had no hope. See, the problem these men were up against is the use of submarines was relatively new. And no one had considered this, considered this situation that arose. No special rescue vehicle existed that was capable of saving before time ran out. And this event, in part, was what was motivated the development of such a vehicle. But the reality is, as sad as that sounds, that same situation exists for everyone who walks this earth today and is past the age of accountability. The clock has started, and the clock is ticking. There are only a certain amount of time on this earth, and with every passing moment, we draw closer to our last breath. And if help does not reach us, reach the others, then when we will take our very last breath, all hope will be lost. Now, there are many different views of God and how he relates to his people. Those who would admit he exists, even them, they often think of God as lofty and detached from his people. He is somewhere sitting on a throne looking down upon the world uh, as a supreme ruler, shaking his head at the mess that we've made of his creation. But the truth of it is that he has been desiring to be with each and every one of us from the start. Take note of the name that was given in our passage this morning. Emmanuel. It means God with us. Note that it does not say us with God, but God with us, indicating a desire from his perspective to be with his people. This is because we don't naturally seek him, as I have pointed out many, many times before. He seeks us. He pursues us. He wants to give us a relationship, a purpose, and so many other things. He wants us to have hope in a world that there really isn't anything that gives lasting hope, not either for the short term or for eternity. But I want to tell you that if you are here today and you, or you are hearing the Word of God remotely, no matter what your situation, there is hope. And it came in the form of a little baby. And although there nonetheless still will come a day where each and every one of us will draw our last breath, this little baby represents hope in spite of that. It represent, he represents that means of rescue. For in this little baby we see Emmanuel, God with us. Now, it's interesting because the name Emmanuel is really only used three times in Scripture. It's used twice in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, and once here in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew. And I find that curious because the whole of the Bible, in reality, is an account of that glorious statement and the different ways that it's true of God with us. The interactions, the interventions, communications that exist from the very creation of mankind all are reflective of the way that God has shown his desire to be with us.
And through the prophecies of the end times, we see plenty of evidence of that very truth. But nothing, nothing can compare to the crown jewel of this concept. When our Lord Jesus Christ stepped off his throne, humbled himself, and submitted to coming to earth in a human form, thus subjecting himself to all of the life experiences from that of a newborn child through his early 30s. We sometimes lose sight of the fact that Jesus as a human being was a typical human in that he had to be nursed by his mother, he had to be guided by his parents, he had to be raised, he had to struggle with all the things that occur in life. Truly an awesome and wonderful thing when you think about it that God was willing to do that only for our benefit. And while there was really one primary reason why he chose to do this, he took the opportunity to use it to accomplish other things as well. See, Jesus would utilize his time here on earth to accomplish a number of things, a whole list of them. But today I want to focus on what I would consider to be the four primary reasons that we had God with us. And the first one was that he came to start his church. He came to start his church. A new covenant was to be established upon the arrival of the Savior. And with that new covenant, a New Testament church needed to be started. No longer was there a need for the old temple sacrifices. In fact, upon the death of Christ, 33 years after his birth, the holiest of places within the temple would be exposed by God himself, representing a new, much more personal arrangement with God than had been established. Remember, in the temple of the Old Testament, there was a division between the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy of holies was what the only place, the only people that could go in there was the high priest on the day of sacrifice. Anybody who entered beyond the veil would be struck dead. And it was a very heavy, very thick veil. It wasn't a thin curtain like we may have hanging in our houses. This was very, very thick. And when Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice, that veil, <clears throat> that curtain, was rent from top to bottom. Supernaturally torn from the very top to the very bottom. Literally cut in two, symbolizing <clears throat> that no longer was there a go-between necessary, a human go-between necessary between man and God, but that Jesus now fulfilled that role. Once again, God demonstrating his desire to be with us. And the temple had served its purpose as God had planned, but now it was time for something new. And upon the shores of Galilee, Jesus began to gather the men whom he would teach and trust with the very task of the church beginnings. And with that gathering, thus was born the New Testament church as we have come to know it today. Remember the words that Jesus spoke to Peter at the very beginning in Matthew 16, 18, <clears throat> when he said, and 
And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's something important for us to note here. This rock that Jesus was referring to was the truth of Christ that Peter had just spoken prior to this. The Savior of the world was the Son of God. It was not that Peter was the rock, as some would have you to understand. This is a very important distinction here. A quick way to distinguish this is to look at the Greek behind it. The word used for Peter was Petra. The word used for Peter was Petra. Or Petros, I'm sorry, Petros. So Peter was Petros, which means a piece of rock. It means just a piece of it. The word used for the rock that he's going to build his church on was Petra which means a massive, massive rock. See, Peter had professed his belief in Christ just prior to this, so he was a small part of the larger scale belief on him in which he would build his church. It was not Peter that he was building his church on, although Peter was an instrument that he used to help begin his church. He was building his church on the truth that Peter spoke. <clears throat> So it wasn't the people that Christ would build his church around, but rather their faith and belief in him. But Jesus came in part to start the church, the belief in him, with a strong group of believers that they might be sent out into the world and make disciples of the nation. If we read the early days of the church, there were times where there were 5,000 people out of the church in one day. Can you imagine that kind of growth? 5,000. Well, that would take a while to baptize all them. But this is how he came, this is in part what he, why he came, to start his church. The next thing we see is that he also came to share in our struggles. He came to share in our struggles. It's this very truth that we can find a tremendous amount of comfort in particularly when we're struggling. Now, we all know that God is omniscient. He knows everything, right? There's nothing that is unknown to him. But a lot of times we, particularly when we're going through difficult times, we might find ourselves feeling that, you know, maybe God, although he's promised to be with us through the trials, he really can't understand from our perspective what it is we're going through. Because after all, he is God and he doesn't have to deal with the kinds of difficulties and struggles that we do. So once again, this idea of a detached God creeps in, but God doesn't want that. He never wanted that. He wanted us to identify with him. He wanted us to feel his presence with us. <clears throat> it wasn't enough for him to, for us to just know that he died for us, but he felt it was important enough that we know he is able to identify also with the life experiences that we were going through. Consider for a moment in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but what? Made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, 
humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. God humbled himself to the point of taking on the form of a human. I think sometimes we lose sight of the incredible nature of this. The God of all creation, God of the universe, creator of all that exists today, humbled himself and became a man. Subject to all the things that we experience as a human being. He humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, no less. Not a king, not a religious ruler, but that of a servant. Although when you think about it, if anybody was entitled to come as a king, it was him. After all, he is the king. But he chose not to. He chose to experience not the easy life of royalty or position, but instead he wanted to experience the life of the least of these. He came from a poor family, that of a carpenter. Very likely he learned the trade of a carpenter. And when it came time to begin his ministry, he set out with no place to call home. He did not seek out those of religious position to hang out with. In fact, he tended to shun them because of their hypocrisy. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He did not look for the easy path, but rather faced the difficulties, the hatred, the bigotry, the ridicule, the scorn. He did not run away from it, but rather he took it all in, embraced it, accepted it. And the beauty of it was because of his experience of all of these things, it actually brings him closer to us. He now can identify with our feelings. Not that he needed to do that, but we can look at him and say, he went through the same kinds of things. I know that he can identify with how I feel. We know he experienced the raw emotions that come with life. Anger, sadness, frustration, depression, anxiety, pain, loss. He shed tears of sadness. And if that wasn't enough, he even experienced what it was like to be tempted with sin. And keep in mind, he wasn't just tempted just day to day as we are, but he was tempted by the master deceiver himself. Devil himself was at the controls when he was being tempted at its worst. He did things so that we could be sure of his ability to identify what we were going through. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Did you get that? In all points tempted. And there's the key part, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted just like you and me. He has gone through and had the same temptations placed in front of him that you and I have. Yes, maybe the technology is different today, but the fundamental temptations were all there. And yet he resisted every single one of them. 
This shows how close he is to us, how he identifies with us and our struggles, even in the temptations that we face. And I don't think this is the first, when he was tempted by Satan, there was the first time he'd been tempted, but rather it was the most significant because what is the timing of that temptation when Satan came to tempt him? It was at the beginning of his ministry. Because it was immediately following that he began his ministry and began to gather his church. And as if that wasn't enough, he made sure it was recorded in the Holy Scriptures for us to see it. To have the evidence of truth that Jesus went through these things. To strengthen and fortify his relationship with his flock. What a savior, huh? The next reason I think he came, one of the most important reasons, was to show us how to live in love. To show us how to live in love. As Christians, we are commanded to show the love of God to all people. Everyone, no exceptions. We are commanded also to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now imagine if Christ had not come to the earth and taken on the form of a man, walking in flesh amongst the world. Imagine that he stayed in heaven the whole time, remained there. Or perhaps he arrived just in time to go to the cross and die for our sins. What frame of reference would we have in order to live? What person would we have to identify with and say, this is the model. This is how we should walk. This is how we should act. This is how we should respond. How would we know how to be conformed to him? There would be no example, no frame of reference by which we could strive to achieve these goals, however unachievable they might be. You see, once again, this is a case where God came with us for our benefit. He's not going to ask something of us. He does not feel we have any ability to do through his power. Just as he will not tempt us beyond that which we are able to bear. It is not in our nature, because of our sin natures, to act within the, gods, uh, the laws of God. We tend to be judgmental of those whose sins are known. We tend to be unforgiving of those who hurt us. We tend to steer away from those who don't fit our definition of, of who are like us. And our actions tend to be governed by emotions of the moment rather than righteousness. There are so many things that we do wrong. So many things that we do as humans, as sinful humans, that are driven by that sin nature. But Jesus gave us an example of how to respond in all of these different situations. He showed us how we are to love the unlovable. You see, Jesus was drawn to publicans and sinners, the sick, the outcast. He didn't hesitate to befriend them and show them the love of the Father. Jesus went against the grain of our normal response. He showed us what it meant to stand for the truth and to act according to God's example of love, even when it was unpopular, and warning us all the while that we also would be hated for taking that stand. John 7, 7 tells us, The world cannot hate you, but, if it hate, but, it, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. That's interesting because Jesus takes 
the hatred that we experience as Christians and says, you know what, they're not really hating you. They're hating me. The hate that's directed at you is because of me. He recognizes this. He showed us that when they do hate us, that we are to love them back. He says in Luke 6, 27, But I say unto you which hear, Love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Now I know this goes completely against the grain of almost every single one of us. People that do us wrong, that try to get us at every turn, that just seem to have it out for us. It is not our natural response to try to love them back. But that is exactly what God has told us to do. That is exactly the example that Jesus gave. And then he put the fullness of his life into those words when he was hanging from the cross. Jesus was there being sacrificed for no crime of his own. In agony the whole time. Suffering, being ridiculed, spit upon. He'd been beaten. People were beneath his cross mocking him. The one thief, or at least initially both of them started mocking him until the one finally saw the truth. Dealing with all of this. And he looked down upon those that were doing all of this. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If anybody had a right to be angry, if anybody had a right to demand vengeance, it was Jesus. But instead, he showed forgiveness. He would even go so far in showing us how to live by submitting himself, not for himself, but for us, in baptism as well. I mean, do you really think Jesus needed to be baptized? His professing faith in himself? No. Jesus was setting an example for us. See, he was showing us how to live. He was showing us how to love. All of it laid out for us to see. All of it done by him so that we could know what it was like. And lastly... He came to become the substitutional sacrifice for our sins. All of the things that we've already talked about give us a Savior that we can identify with through what He has experienced and that we can identify with through life experiences. But is this one last thing, this one action on which the entire hope of humanity hangs? There simply was no other way that we could have any hope. There are so many people in the world today, even now, that are hanging their hope on themselves. Their hope for eternity rests on a sinful, corrupt, uh, unrighteous human being. Thinking that I can be good enough to get into heaven. Or perhaps they hanging their hope on their church attendance. But there's simply no other way than we can have hope except through Jesus Christ alone. With our time running out, he is our rescue vessel. 
There was no other person that could offer himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And even in this action, he added one more thing. One more thing that he could identify with us in. You see, he had laid down his perfection for a few hours and picked up the sin of all humanity. He identified with us by carrying the guilt and the filth of sin for a brief moment in history. That which was spotless became spotted. That which was blameless took on our blame. That which was innocent took on all the guilt of the world's sins. All so that we might be spared eternal damnation. He suffered where we should suffer. He died where we should have died. And he went the path that we should have gone. But instead he stepped up and said, let me do this for them. Let me be the one to pay the price so that they might find hope in me. That they might forever be with me. That they might forever enjoy God with us. It's God's desire that all of us have a relationship with him. It's God's desire that we all join him in heaven upon our departure from this world. It is not God's desire that any should perish. But it is his desire that all should have everlasting life. And the only hope for that, the only hope that we have in this world today, remains as it was 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. It is Jesus Christ. It has not changed. There is but one name that which we are, by which we are saved. And it is the very person who came to this world, was born of a virgin, and died on a cross for our behalf. Have you embraced that truth today? Have you embraced the truth that Jesus is our only hope? Please don't spend your life putting hope in things of this world because they will not carry through for all eternity. Jesus is our only hope. Embrace the truth and the work of the cross so that you can have God with you for all eternity. Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come before your throne once again. Lord, we thank you for the celebration that we have this time of the year to celebrate the arrival of the Savior. And Lord, let us always be focused upon that. Let us not get carried away <clears throat> with the world's idea of Christmas. Let us not get caught up in the commercialism and the worldliness that surrounds this, day, this time of the year so much. Let us be focused upon what the true meaning is and let us be willing and eager to share that truth with all that we see. Lord, let us be striving to be as you are and can be conformed to the image of Christ that we might glorify you in doing so and point others to you as well. And Lord, we love you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and BeyondPod. Search for and subscribe to 
Providence Baptist Church, space hyphen space, Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.